Welcome to the Christ Community Church Podcast. This teaching was recorded live during our weekend service in St. Charles, Illinois. We invite you to join us in person any weekend in St. Charles, DeKalb, Aurora, or Streamwood. Learn more at ccclife.org. And now, enjoy the message. Well, if you have children in our Kids World ministry, you know what a fabulous children's ministry team we have around here. I mean, every week, they're putting together uh, lessons that will help kids engage with God, riveting Bible studies, uh, kid-friendly activities, creative activities, meaningful worship. And I got to say, church isn't like it was back when I was a kid and my parents hauled me to Sunday school every week. Uh, I just remember some pretty boring Bible lessons back then and some songs that were uh, cheesy or confusing or sometimes a little uh, of both. Like, for example, shine, uh, climb, climb up Sunshine Mountain. Any of you forced to sing that one as a kid? Okay, let, let, me, let me give you some of the lyrics with the hand motions, all right? Climb, climb up Sunshine Mountain, heavenly breezes blow. Climb, climb up Sunshine Mountain, faces all aglow. Where in the world is Sunshine Mountain? And why are kids being encouraged to climb it? I had no idea as a child. I still have no idea today. Okay? Now, lest you think I'm totally dissing my Sunday school experience, there was one song that they taught us that was meaningful. And, uh, you know, it made sense to me. It was a song about an Old Testament character by the name of Daniel. How Daniel is a stellar role model of someone who followed God even when nobody else did. Uh, Dare to be a Daniel. Dare to stand alone. Dare to have a purpose firm. Dare to make it known. Those were good lyrics. And Daniel is still a role model for me today. And welcome to week one of a four-week series in the book of Daniel. So if you brought a Bible with you, would you start looking for Daniel, okay? You'll find it around the middle of your Bible just when you get past the big books of Isaiah and Jeremiah and Ezekiel, you'll find Daniel, Daniel chapter one. And this is not only a series in Daniel, it's a series about the workplace. So how are Christ followers supposed to behave on the job? You know, whether your job is driving an Uber or investing other people's money, or being a student, or building houses, or running a small business, or nurturing children as a stay-at-home mom, or selling cars, or whatever. Daniel is going to be our role model over the next several, several weeks. We're calling this series A Job Well Done. You found Daniel yet? Okay, let, let me have you keep looking while I give you a little bit of historical context here. Uh, Daniel, back in the year 605 BC, Daniel moved from his uh, home country of Israel, southern part of Israel called Judah, to Babylon. He was in his late teens, maybe early 20s at the time. This was not a move of his volition. It was forced upon him. Daniel was a captive. Because in 605 BC, Babylon, the superpower of the day, invaded his country, besieged the capital city of Jerusalem, and carried off many of its leading citizens as hostages, and Daniel was part of that group. So with that as a background, let me read to you the opening couple of verses of Daniel chapter 1. It says, in the third year of the reign of Jehoiakim, king of Judah, Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, came to Jerusalem and besieged it. And the Lord... It's really important. If you've got your own Bible, 
underscore and the Lord, because he's the one who's in control of everything. And the Lord delivered Jehoiakim, king of Judah, into his hand, along with some of the articles from the temple of God. These he carried off to the temple of his God in Babylonia and put in the treasure house of his God. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Now, we haven't been introduced to Daniel himself yet, but um, in, this, uh, in these opening two, two verses, we have the context of Daniel's first full-time job. Okay, he's gone from mowing lawns in Judah to suddenly finding himself working for the ruler of the superpower of the day, the most powerful country on the planet at, at the time, ancient Babylon. Okay, pagan, wicked, intimidating, intoxicating Babylon. But as a follower of the one true living God, Daniel dares to be different. He dares to live according to God's values. And so Daniel becomes a role model to every one of us who wants to be a faithful Christ follower on the job. So if you dare to be different in your work environment, there are three takeaways I want to give you from this opening chapter of Daniel. So if you're jotting these down, and by the way, there's a note section in the electronic app. Number one is resist conformity. Resist conformity. I'm a big fan of the comic strip Dilbert. Uh, Dilbert started back in 1989. Scott Adams uh, first penned his first Dilbert cartoon. It's still going today. 2,000 newspapers around the world, 65 countries. Uh, Why is this comic strip so popular? Well, it's because it reflects a lot of people's work experience. You know, Dilbert is an engineer in a micromanaged office. I mean, there's a lot of bureaucracy, a lot of office politics. This is a place where employees' gifts go unrewarded, where uh, busy work is praised, where conformity is required. Conformity. Maybe this sounds like your your workplace. One day, a little monkey shows up to warn Dilbert about conformity. Now, don't ask me what a monkey is doing in his workplace. You just got to suspend your judgment a bit when you're reading Dilbert cartoons. But the monkey says to Dilbert, He says, evolution favors monkeys. Eventually, humans will be kept in cages as pets. To which Dilbert responds, impossible. We humans will never allow ourselves to be treated like that. Now, get out of my cubicle. Okay, not everybody gets Dilbert humor. (laughs) Conformity. So we're not just talking about working in in a cubicle. Our jobs have a tendency to squeeze us into their mold, don't they? You know, to become part of the system, to adopt the values and the priorities of our workplace. You know, this subtle pressure comes from three different sources, and we got to resist conformity, first of all, with regard to the boss, conformity to the boss. Now, before you start thinking about your boss, let me tell you a little bit about Daniel's boss, Nebuchadnezzar, King, King Neb, you know, you might assume was a brute to work for, and in some ways you'd be right, but as the story begins, Daniel was actually given a very flattering opportunity. You know, the king is putting together a training program for future leaders, and Daniel has been chosen to be part of this junior executive's project. Let, let me continue reading. We're going to pick it up at verse 3 where we left off. 
Then the king ordered Ashpenaz, chief of his court officials, to bring into the king's service some of the Israelites from the royal family and the nobility. Young men without any physical defect, handsome, showing aptitude for every kind of learning, well-informed, quick to understand, and qualified to serve in the king's palace. He was to teach them the language and literature of the Babylonians. The king assigned them a daily amount of food and wine from the king's table. They were to be trained for three years, and after that they were to enter the king's service. Among those who were chosen were some from Judah, Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. The chief official gave them new names, to Daniel the name Belteshazzar, to Hananiah Shadrach, to Mishael Meshach, and to Azariah Abednego. And by the way, if you're ever asked to read names like that in your community group, just do it with confidence because nobody knows how they're pronounced. So, yeah, wow, you must have some Babylonian background. Well, so Daniel is handpicked by the, the chief of operations for the ruler of the uh, you know, biggest superpower of the day, Babylon. It must have been a pretty heady thing. Must have been the sort of job that people would die for, that employees would dream about. You know, a job with all the perks of four weeks of paid vacation and use of the company chariot and the local membership in the local health club. And and, and so, so Daniel owed all this to his new boss, Nebuchadnezzar. So it might not be surprising if Daniel jumped whenever Nebuchadnezzar said jump. I mean, certainly he would do everything he could to please his boss. Now, how about you? Would you do everything your boss expects of you, eager to conform, eager to please? Now, now, you know, a certain amount of conformity is called for. But, but what about when his expectations or her expectations, what about when they violate your values, when, when, when they violate your, your standards, your priorities? Are, are you tempted to go with the flow of what the boss expects because, well, maybe you got a boss who's super generous like Daniel's boss was and you don't want to let him down? Or maybe just the opposite. Maybe you got a boss who's really forceful, very intimidating, and so you don't know how to say no. One of my favorite movies of all time, old movie now, uh, Chariots of Fire. Remember that one? Years ago. I still watch it about every other year. But it's a story of Eric Little, a true story about a guy who won a gold medal in the 100-meter dash back at the 1924 Olympics. He was running for Great Britain. But when his team arrived in Great Britain, or rather in France from Great Britain, he almost decided not to run his race because the race was scheduled for a Sunday. And for Eric Little, a Christ follower, Sunday was a day for worship. So if worship and running conflicted, worship would win in, in Eric's book. And so the Olympic committee called him in because they wanted to talk him into running his race anyway. And they brought in a ringer to convince, uh, I started to say Daniel, to convince Eric that this was the thing to do. They brought in the Prince of Wales, the future King of England. And he made a case for, won't you do this for your king? Don't you owe an allegiance to your king? To which Eric Little responded, God made kings. God made kings. I have a higher allegiance to God than to any king. 
So Daniel and Eric Little had something in common. And by the way, if you want to see how the, the thing gets resolved and how he wins his gold medal, you'll have to rent the movie. But Daniel and Eric Little had something in common. They bought, both saw behind their boss a bigger boss. And so their ultimate allegiance was to God. God makes kings. God makes bosses. The Apostle Paul writes in Colossians 3, verse 16, whatever you do on the job, work at it with all your heart as working for the Lord, not for human masters. So if your boss expects you to you know, lie or exaggerate the truth in order to close a big deal, if your boss encourages you to treat people as a means uh, to an end, you know, if, if your boss wants you to keep your faith to yourself, if, you're, if your boss you know, wants to keep you so busy with work hours that you have no time for family or for church, don't ever forget that you have a higher boss that you answer to. Dare to be different. Resist conformity to the boss. You know, second, re re resist conformity to peers. To peers, Daniel, you'll recall from the verses we read a few moments ago, was recruited to be part of a team. Look again at verse 4 for a description of Daniel's workplace peers. Pretty amazing. Young men without any physical defect, handsome, showing aptitude for every kind of learning, well-informed, quick to understand, qualified to serve in the king's palace. Wow. You think Daniel might be tempted to go along with a crowd like that? I mean, who would dare to walk out of step with these super cool, successful future leaders? The, the pressure for Daniel to conform to the attitudes and behaviors of his peers must have been enormous. Can you resist the crowd at work? Can, can you resist the gossip? You know, the dirty jokes, the extended lunch breaks, the, the flirting, the dissing of management, the self-centered competitiveness. Even if you work for yourself, you know, you're a stay-at-home mom or you're a high school student. You, know, you have peers, you know, people who do the same sort of work that, that you do. So are you aware of the temptation to conform to their standards? I was talking to a young mom recently, and she said to me, uh, she said, you know, I have a difficult time sometimes hanging out with other young moms because I don't share their standard for how money is spent in terms of clothes and houses and exotic vacations and kids' activities and, and so on. And I thought to myself, I admire this young woman. Okay, because she dares to be different from her peers. Thir third group, or thing to resist conformity to you, the boss, peers, thirdly, to corporate culture. Now go back to today's text. Uh, Nebuchadnezzar's chief of staff was instructed to train Daniel and his friends, and the training included several things. Verse 4, the language and the literature of the Babylonians. Okay, so they got some schoolwork there. Verse 5, these future leaders were given a special meal plan, rich food, fine wine from the king's table. Drop down to verse 7, they're assigned new names, Babylonian names. I mean, the goal of all this training was pretty obvious. Nebuchadnezzar wanted Daniel and his friends to think and act like loyal Babylonians. To see themselves as, as company men. 
You know, one Bible scholar calls this opening episode in Daniel's story the brainwashing. The brainwashing. But Daniel refused to let the corporate culture mess with his head or shape his values or squeeze him into its mold. How do we keep ourselves from being squeezed into the mold of the corporate culture where we work? You know, Scripture tells us to allow God's word to mold us from within, to become certain of biblical values and priorities and standards. That's how we resist conformity. And sometimes that resistance, when it comes to corporate culture, sometimes it will be a private matter. We just, you know, very quietly don't go along with it. But other times, resistance will, will require some speaking out, speaking out against corporate greed or discrimination or sexual harassment or anti-biblical ideologies. You say, the last one was a mouthful there, anti-biblical ideologies. What do you mean by that? Let, let, let me illustrate. Okay, Dr. Christina Crenshaw has a, a PhD in English, and she teaches at a university, teaches English and leadership studies. Uh, she is an anti-human trafficking activist, a really cool lady, and she happens to be a wife and a mother of young children. And just recently, her maternal instincts came out in a tweet of hers. Okay, this is back in January, and the, the President of the United States had just signed an executive order uh, having to do with sexual orientation and a gender identity. And, and Christina Crenshaw responded with a tweet, and the message of her tweet was, what if I don't want biological boys in the same bathroom as my biological daughter? Do I have a voice? She wanted to know, do people like I have a voice? And evidently the answer was no because it caused a furor at her university. There was a small but very vocal group of students who immediately began to call for her dismissal. She was uh, labeled in the student newspaper transphobic. There was a petition circulated to get her fired. And for a while it looked like the university might cave to the pressure, but fortunately she still has her job. But what, what should a Christian do when the corporate culture is a cancel culture? In other words, if you voice an objection because of biblical, biblical principles, you're out. So should we keep our mouth shut? Should we just go with the flow? Daniel resisted conformity. Now, let me quickly add that this doesn't give Christ followers the right to be strident or obnoxious in their resistance to corporate culture. Paul says in Colossians 4, verse 6, that our conversation ought always to be full of grace, seasoned with salt so that we know how to respond to everyone. Full of grace, seasoned with salt. In other words, we don't go rant on Facebook. You know, if we're going to respond, we do so in a gracious manner. By the way, just a footnote to this illustration I just used. Uh, you may know that once a week I post a five-minute video called One Thing from Pastor Jim. And this week, my One Thing video has to do with that situation I was just describing, the Equality Act, which unfortunately I think is, is misna misnamed. If it were about equality, I would be encouraging every Christ follower to get behind it. But I don't think it's about equality. 
I think it's about forcing a, an anti-biblical sexual ideology on our culture. And I say resist conformity. Resist conformity. Number two, grow character. Grow character. Now, some of us, truth be known, we like all this talk about nonconformity, uh, not because we're trying to follow Christ on the job, but because we're contrarians by nature. I mean, we like to argue. We like to take a stand. You know, we like to buck up against those in authority. We eagerly dare to be different. Uh, but actually, it may be more accurate to say we dare to be disagreeable. <laughs> Uh, Daniel wasn't disagreeable. Daniel didn't dig in his heels just to be stubborn. He wasn't a nonconformist for the sake of nonconformity. Daniel was motivated by godly character. Character. Let, let me read the next part of the story to you. We're picking it up where we left off at verse 8. It says, But Daniel resolved not to defile himself with the royal food and wine, and he asked the chief official for permission not to defile himself in this way. Now, God had caused the official to show favor and compassion to Daniel, but the official told Daniel, I'm afraid of my lord, the king, who's assigned your food and drink. Why should he see you looking worse than the other young men your age? The king would then have my head because of you. Daniel then said to the guard whom the chief official had appointed over Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, please test your servants for 10 days. Give us nothing but vegetables to eat, water to drink, and then compare our appearance with that of the young men who eat the royal food and treat your servants in accordance with what you see. So he agreed to this and tested them for 10 days. At the end of the 10 days, they looked healthier and better nourished than any of the young men who ate the royal food. So the guard took away their choice food and the wine they were to drink and gave them vegetables instead. Okay, I see at least three important character traits that Daniel exemplifies here. But before we take a closer look at those three character traits, let me say something about character in general. God is more interested in your character on the job than what you do for a living. You know, God, what God is all about is making you into the person he wants you to be. And so your job, listen to me, your job is actually God's character school you see it that way you know these days it's hard to see it that way if you're spending most of your day on zoom calls right this is character yeah it's character school it's carry so you could be a successful whatever you could be a successful engineer successful teacher banker uh, you know uber driver whatever but if you're not growing in character you know, the traits we're about to look at in Daniel's life, if they're not taking form in, in you, then in God's book, you're failing on the job because he's all about your character. So let, let me give you three of these character traits we see in Daniel here. The first one is faithfulness, and I'm talking about faithfulness to God. Okay, Daniel was on the job as God's representative. Opening line of verse 8, Daniel resolved not to defile himself with the royal food and wine. Okay, he was resolved to walk faithfully with God. Why did he refuse Nebuchadnezzar's food? Uh, different explanations have been offered. Some Bible scholars say was well, probably because this was food that had previously been offered to Babylonian idols. So Daniel didn't want to touch it. Uh, but that explanation doesn't work because uh, Babylonians also offered produce to their gods and Daniel was willing to eat vegetables. 
So others say, well, it's because Daniel was, a, you know, he was an Orthodox Jew, and so he would have kept a kosher diet, so he wasn't about to eat Babylonian food. Yeah, but Daniel also turned down their wine, and wine is kosher. So it couldn't be the kosher argument. I think the best explanation for Daniel refusing Nebuchadnezzar's food offered by many Bible scholars is because food had a lot to do in that culture with relationships. You heard me talk about this a little bit last week at Easter, the Feast of King Jesus. Okay, sharing a meal with someone meant there was a committed relationship. So if Daniel accepted food from Nebuchadnezzar's table, it would be like pledging loyalty to Nebuchadnezzar. Daniel didn't want to do that. Why? Because he was loyal first and foremost to God. That's where his allegiance was. Verse 8 says he was resolved not to defile himself. I like the word resolve. What, what that tells us is that Daniel had made up his mind before he stepped into the job that he was going to live for God. He was going to live for it. Faithfulness to God was his number one priority. In his conversations at work, faithfulness to God. In his work ethic, faithfulness to God. In the way he treated others, faithfulness to God. In his honesty, faithfulness to God. In his eagerness to wear his faith on his sleeve, faithfulness to God. Daniel was God's man on the job. You get it? Good. Second character trait I note, note in Daniel's life was, was humility. Take another look at the middle of verse 8 at how Daniel presented his resolve not to eat the king's food to his supervisor. Verse 8, Daniel says, uh, he asked the chief official for permission not to defile himself in this way. Daniel asked for permission. I mean, he, he didn't denounce the meal plan. He didn't demand his rights. He didn't go on strike. He didn't diss Nebuchadnezzar to other workers. He didn't form a group of food resistors. He asked for permission. He was courteous. He was respectful. He was, he was humble. Let me ask you, could your workplace use some more humility? Now, before you start dreaming about what that would look like if everybody around you was more humble, what, what about you? Would the people who work with you, the people who work for you, would they describe you as humble you know, Jesus said to all his followers, Matthew eleven twenty nine, learn from me, I am gentle and humble in heart. So our master, our leader, our king says, be humble like me. The third character trait that Daniel models for us, synergy, synergy, working together for a common goal. Don't you love the solution that Daniel poses to the guard in this part of the story? Now, Daniel knows that he's going to get this dude in trouble. If he just flatly refuses Nebuchadnezzar's food, this guy could lose his head. And so Daniel says in verse 12, please, first word out of his mouth here, please, this is the humility coming in, give us a test. Okay, give us vegetables and, and, and water for 10 days and see how we turn out. And if we turn out great, if we look great, then Nebuchadnezzar isn't going to mind if we've refused his food. And the guard says, okay, let's see how it goes. And they pass the test with flying colors and everybody's happy. Everybody's happy. This is synergy. Stephen Covey and his 
classic best-selling book, Seven Habits of Highly Effective People. If you've never read it, it's been out for ages. Great book. He calls this a win-win solution. Okay, that's what synergy is, a win-win solution. You try to understand the conflict in your workplace uh, from the other person's perspective, and then instead of taking sides, you see yourself as being on the same team. You know, we're going to tackle this problem together. We're going to come up with a solution that benefits both, both of us. Sometimes you actually just say out loud, hey, could we come up with a win-win solution to this situation? So you got faithfulness, humility, synergy. Your job is character school. Your job is character school, so grow your character. Number three, okay, resist conformity to the boss, to your peers, okay, to corporate culture. Grow your character. Third, anticipate rewards. When we dare to be different at work, resisting conformity, growing character, then we can anticipate that God's going to reward our efforts. Now, let me say that some of that reward, I'll just be honest with you here, God is reserving for us in his future kingdom. You won't see it in this life. But you may get a taste of it, you know, and Daniel certainly did. So let me close by briefly mentioning three things that God gave Daniel as a reward for Daniel's behavior on the job. And I, I want to, just an aside here, I want to say these are rewards that God gave Daniel. I mean, who, who do you think the central character is in the story of Daniel, the book that bears his name? Who's the central character? Yeah, yeah. If you guess Daniel, nope. The central character is actually God throughout the story. You know, it's all about how God is at work in the world, how God controls things to his ends. How God wants to show up in your workplace. How God will bless your life if you're obedient to him. Okay, this is, this is a God story. So the first reward that God gave Daniel was savvy. I love that word. You know that? You know, I put it on the cover of four books. I, I wrote the Bible savvy series. The word savvy means discernment. It means street smarts, insight, applied wisdom, God rewarded Daniel with savvy. He gained a reputation as a dude with a good head on his shoulders. You know, a strategic thinker, a wellspring of great ideas. When Daniel spoke, people listened. Go, go back to Daniel, drop down, Daniel 1, verse 17, opening line. To these four young men, okay, Daniel and his three buddies, God gave, okay, it's God, God gave knowledge and understanding. Now drop down to verse 20. In every matter of wisdom and understanding about which the king questioned them, he found them, I love this, he found them 10 times better than all the magicians and enchanters in his whole kingdom. Wouldn't you love to have this kind of a reputation in your workplace? Oh, he's a savvy guy. She's a savvy woman. You know, at the risk of always beating the same drama, how do you get savvy? You get savvy through Bible savvy. You do. You know, this is how you become that street smarts wise person.
person. You dip into God's word every day. You soak in it. You saturate your life with it. You pick up a Bible-savvy reading schedule and you follow it. You get into a community group and you talk about the Bible and its application to your life. If you've not been in a group yet, you jump into one of those rooted groups you heard us talking about today. You know, it's a road test opportunity for you. Ten weeks. If, if, if you hate it at the end of the ten weeks, never get in a group again around here. But I think you'll love it. Okay, so check it out. Check it out. Savvy. Second reward that God gave Daniel, favor. Favor. Nebuchadnezzar, the most powerful person on the planet, liked Daniel and his three amigos. Okay, Nebuchadnezzar wanted them on his team. He wanted them in positions of influence. Look at verse 19. The king talked with them. And he found none equal to Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. So they entered the king's service. I mean, when we dare to be different on the job, you know, in the positive ways that we've been talking about today, people at work will be drawn to us. I guarantee. You know, whether that's coworkers or, you know, the people that we have to oversee or the people we work for or customers or clients, God will reward us with favor. Third reward that God gave Daniel, longevity. Drop down to the last verse of the chapter, verse 21. And God remained there, okay, he remained in the king's service until the first year of King Cyrus. Now, let me give you a little chronology here, okay? Daniel starts working for King Nebuchadnezzar in 605 BC, and he works for a succession of kings all the way up to King Cyrus, who took the throne in 537 BC. What that means, friends, is that Daniel worked in this high-profile, politically dangerous, super-demanding job for almost 70 years. That's longevity. How did Daniel do it? Well, he didn't do it on his own at least. God did it. God rewarded him with longevity, with savvy, with favor, with longevity. As you go to work this week, you know, wherever work is, and maybe it's, uh, you know, in your, your own home, maybe it's at school, yeah. resist conformity, okay, grow character, and then anticipate God's rewards. Let me pray for you. Would you pray with me? Lord God, thank you for the opportunity to uh, not only enjoy what we do for a living, but to go, to go about it as if working for you. To, to remember that you ultimately are our boss. To arrive at work, even if we never leave our home, uh, but to arrive there as your person on the job. And I pray that we, we would take this away from Daniel this week. I pray that we would see our, our jobs as your workshop where you're fashioning our character. It's your character school. I pray for those of us who are discouraged right now because we, we feel like we're in a miserable job, that you would change the way we, we look at our job at least until the day when you change out the job and bring us to a, a, a new place of work, God. And I thank you that when we surrender to Jesus, that your spirit comes to live inside and you enable us to put into practice the kinds of things we just learned from Daniel. We pray in Jesus' name, amen.